I wish to thank you for this opportunity being able to come speak to you in your chapel service this morning. Mr. Bookman has been very kind in his remarks. I think his name is a wonderful name for one who is a professor. Although perhaps some of you think he should change his name to leave me a message and I will get back to you. <laughs> I do not know what you might know of me. I have been called the Prince of Preachers. That is not a name I have chosen for myself, but rather one which has been chosen for me. A group of American pastors was touring our church there, the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England. At that moment, we were in the basement of our church, and one of the gentlemen said, Mr. Spurgeon, from whence does your power come? I said, gentlemen, it comes from this room. It is called the boiler room. And they looked around somewhat perplexed because there was no boiler there. And that is what I like about you Americans. You are so literal. <laughs> Mr. Spurgeon, we do not understand. I said, gentlemen, this room is called the boiler room because it is here on a Saturday evening and a Sunday morning, 160 of my men gather and they pray for God's power upon this church and upon their pastor. And any power that I have in the ministry which I possess is because of the prayers of the saints that rise as a sweet-smelling savour into the nostrils of God. And I would encourage each of you to pray for your pastors, for the ministry which God has given to each of you. Perhaps you have heard that I do not have a great deal of formal theological training. It is true. Although I did begin to read the Puritan writers at the age of six, I did not go to seminary. I intended to go to seminary. Indeed, I, I went to a seminary and waited for one hour for the president of the seminary to come and to interview me so that I might gain admittance. I was waiting in an interview room, unknown to me, he was waiting in his office. At the end of an hour, each of us used the intelligence and the good sense which God had given to us, and we left. And that is as close to formal theological training as I have ever come. <laughs> Perhaps you have heard, as Mr. Lewick spoken to me this morning, about my cigars. Perhaps you have heard that I smoke cigars. It is true. Some of my finest sermons, I believe, have come ensconced in my study with my head wreathed in the smoke of a good cigar. A Methodist at one time was chiding me. Methodists are always chiding people about one thing or another. He said to me, Mr. Spurgeon, I do not believe you should smoke cigars. I said, sir, I will stop smoking when I begin to smoke to excess. He said, sir, what do you consider excess? I said, sir, when I begin to smoke two cigars at the same time. <laughs> but there did come a day when I was walking the streets of London and I saw that an advertisement painted upon the side of a building. And it named my particular brand of cigar. And it said, the cigar that Spurgeon smokes. As Mr. Bookman has said, my work is published 
in nearly every language in the world. And I thought I would not have my name linked with any other name other than Jesus Christ. And so I put my cigars down. And from that day until now, I have not picked them up again. I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior at the age of 11. If you have read anything of me, you know that I am a great believer in the sovereignty of God. I was making my way to a rather large church not far from our home. The snow began to fall so heavily that it forced me from my intended purpose. I turned to a small chapel where a mere handful of people were gathered. The snow that had forced me in had kept the pastor away. A layman unlearned and trained in the scriptures got up on the pulpit and he began to read from the book of Isaiah. Look unto me, all the ends of the earth, and be ye saved, saith the Lord. When he reached the end of the passage of scripture, words failed him. And so he read it again, and again words failed him. And the third time he read the scripture, and finally he pointed his finger at me and he said, You young man, look unto God. And so I did. And so should we ever look unto God. I began preaching at the age of 15. I took the New Park Street Baptist Church at the age of 17. This is a church of five or six hundred. It grew to several thousand. We moved and built the Metropolitan Tabernacle where some six thousand members come to hear the word of God preached. And God has blessed. But God has blessed, I believe, because of one thing. And it is not Charles Haddon Spurgeon. If you have your scriptures and you would turn to the book of Luke. We have here our Lord Jesus Christ speaking to us in a parable. In Luke chapter 18. Beginning in verse 1. We seem to have surrounded this topic of prayer. With a great deal of baggage. We have wrapped it in some magical, mystical, metaphysical experience. When I believe the foundation of prayer is given to us here. As the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. Beginning in Luke 18 and verse 1. And he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray. And not to faint. Saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him saying avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself though I fear not God nor regard man. Yet because this widow troubleth me. I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. I believe the very foundation of prayer and a life of prayer is a life of faith. Now do not misunderstand me. Your faith, the greatness of your faith does not determine God's ability to answer your prayer. 
But as we will examine this passage of scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ begins by saying that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And I believe oftentimes our prayers are like the runaway knocks of little boys who in the streets of London would walk up to a house, they would knock upon the door and hide themselves in the bushes so that when the owner of the house would come, there would be no one there. And I believe oftentimes our prayers are like these knocks. We knock upon the gates of heaven. We knock upon the throne of God once or perhaps twice and we run away before the owner has opportunity to come and to hear our plea. I believe as the Lord Jesus Christ has told us that men are always to pray and not to faint. I am quite simple enough to believe that the word always means always. I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ would have us always to be in an attitude, in a spirit of prayer. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ would have, our, have us live our lives here upon this earth so that there would be no shade, no shadow between us and the Father. No experience, no opportunity, no time within our lives when we cannot, in a moment, fly to our Heavenly Father with this great gift of prayer. I believe indeed our prayer should be like those during the time of the Crusades who went to, Jer to, to deliver Jerusalem. These knights within the Crusades slept in their armor so that at the moment's notice when the Saracen would come, when the enemy was about, they would be ready in an instant, in a moment, to fight. They would sleep with their swords at their sides the chainmail upon their bodies, ready when the enemy should come to quench the fiery darts. And so I believe we should live our lives clothed in the armor of God's word so that in a moment's notice, when the fiery darts of Satan himself would come, that we indeed ourselves might be ready. When the Spanish Armada came to attack England, when the spies of the Queen had heard of this great armada coming. The message was sent throughout England. And there was, from one end of England to the other, from the Isle of Wight to Scotland itself, there was, throughout the country, great piles built, great pilings of logs and sticks. And there was a keeper given to every signal fire. And he was to keep his own fire ready and waiting so that should the signal come from the next hill, he could light the fire and the signal would go forth. And that over England, in a matter of moments, the fires would send the signal that the enemy had come. And so I believe it is with us, within our lives, within our Christianity, day by day, that every moment we should be ready to send forth the signal to God, the enemy has come. There is a need. And so when the Holy, when this Jesus Christ has spoken here saying to us, men are always to pray and not to faint, we are always to be in the spirit of prayer. But I believe there is something else here as well. I believe the scripture would have us learn that, that we may speak to God himself about everything. That there is nothing too great, nothing too small for the Lord himself to hear. That there is no occasion upon this life when we may say, God does not care about this. This does not strike the heart of God. For you see, He has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. He has told us His thoughts of us are more in number than the sands of the sea. 
And I believe, my beloved brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, that there is no occasion where we may not in a moment lift our eyes unto the Father from whence cometh our hope. That we may not lift our prayers before the Father himself. There is no time, no trial, no difficulty, no endeavor that we may not bring before our Heavenly Father and that he is not ready to hear our prayer. And so as Jesus Christ would tell us, may not always to pray and not to faint. I believe it is because we are better at fainting than we are at praying. But now, let us examine the story here. We have here in this parable two characters, if you will. As the Lord Jesus Christ is presenting this picture to us, let us find a juxtaposition here between these characters and ourselves in our own condition. First, we have a judge. Judges are supposed to be honorable men. Judges are supposed to view the law and to judge, to bring adjudication to the law in an equitable manner. They are supposed to come without whim, without prejudice. They are supposed to come in an honorable way to adjudicate the law as the law has been presented, as the law has been expressed. We do not have such a judge here. We have a judge so proud, so bold, that he would say he regards neither God nor man. Perhaps there are some among us who would live our lives in such a way. But there are very few among us who would be as vocal about it as this judge. Who said openly, I regard neither God nor man. It is a man of pride indeed. A man who does not judge by law. A man who does not judge by fairness. A man who judges by whim. A man who judges by feeling. And here is a judge, an unjust judge, given so by the Lord himself to us in this parable. An unjust judge. What a sadness there is there. The very thought of it. That one would come, one who is looking to the law for preservation, one who is looking there for legalities to preserve their condition. And they will find no justice, no fairness with this man. But there is another character here. A widow. We know nothing of her, save she came before this judge. She came with one plea in mind. To be avenged of her adversary. We do not know her condition. We do not know the cause of her widowhood. We do not know if there were children. We only know that she has come before this judge. And as we would examine this passage of scripture, as we would see this parable and what the Lord is trying to teach us here, as he has ended here with this, will he find faith upon the earth? I believe that our foundation in prayer must be founded in faith. As we would come in faith believing the power of God, understanding his abilities. But now let us go on. Indeed, picture with me, if you will, the situation. Here we have come into a courtroom. Uh, perhaps the courtroom has opened at o'clock in the morning, or perhaps somewhat later. Uh, filing in are lawyers, barristers, those who are plaintiffs, uh, those who have come to have their cases adjudicated, have their cases heard. 
A great swarm of people have come into the room. Oh, there are clients and barristers. Uh, perhaps there are secretaries and those who are clerks carrying books of the law to quote other cases that have been adjudicated. In with this crowd, this esteemed crowd, there comes a widow. A widow dressed in widow's weeds. She comes in alone. She finds a place there among the crowd. The one who had come to open the law, the courts, all stand as the judge enters. Or perhaps he comes and he peers out over the crowd. Oh yes, there is a lawyer. I do not like him very much. I, I do not think I will decide his case in his favor, no matter what the merits. There is another. I do not like the cut of his clothing. I believe I will decide against him as well. Oh, here is one. I, I will decide for him. I, I cannot why. Oh, yes. He did me a bad turn once. I think I will adjudicate against him also. Before he even hears the cases, he has already decided them. Here is a judge that regards neither God nor man. And case after case comes, and he decides the cases upon whim. Not upon law, not upon justice. But upon whim, upon pride, upon his own decision. But now, now there is a hush in the room. And there comes before him this widow. He peers over his standard. Madam, do you have a barrister with you? She gives no reply. Uh, Madam, what is your case? She says only these words. Avenge me of mine adversary. Avenge me of mine adversary. She knows the law. She knows the law of the Old Testament. That she, he is bound to avenge her as a widow. There has no champion come with her. Madam, is that all you have to say? Avenge me of mine adversary, she says again. Guards, remove her. I, I will not have such words given in my court. And she is removed. Other cases come. Now there is a lull in the room. And as a dog finds his way in where he is not wanted, so this widow finds again her way into the courtroom. And as there is a lull in the courtroom, she cries from the back of the room, Avenge me of my adversary! The judge begins to look around. He sees her again. Guards, I told you to remove her. And over and over and over again, she cries with these words, Avenge me of my adversary! Avenge me of my adversary! Finally, she is removed. Now the guards are watching more carefully. She cannot find her way out again. Now the courtroom closes for the day. The last case has been heard. And now this judge, a wealthy man, a man of position, a man of great pride and wealth, he has perhaps servants to bear him in a litter back to his home. The widow wakes. He climbs in the litter. And she follows behind him. Avenge me of my adversary. Where is that widow? She's come again. Perhaps he peers out of the litter. He finds her. He tells the servants, Hurry, hurry, you must go as quickly as you may. And so they speed up again. They do not wish to hear the bad words of their master. Perhaps they will be beaten if they do not go quickly enough. And she follows as best she might behind him. Avenge me of my adversary. She follows him to his home. Now the gates are locked. They are barred against her. Now he is seated in the cool of the evening in the roof of his home. He is reclining at table. His servants are around him. His meal is prepared. It is laid out before him. 
And there in the cool of the evening, when he would desire to relax, to take his leisure, that comes over the wall of his mansion, avenge me of mine adversary. Perhaps he has a servant drive her away. She stands across the way. Again she cries out, Avenge me, O man, adversary! And through the night she cries out again. She follows him again back to the court. Again she finds her way in. Again she brings it up. Over and over and over again until the days pass. And he says, Because this widow wearies me. The word there in the Greek is that she bruises me. She has come so often, she has brought a bruise upon his very soul. Finally, not because of justice, not because of righteousness, but because she has continued to come, he grants her request. But now, now let us compare. Here is the parable. Here is ourselves. Here is an unjust judge. Here is one who regards neither God nor man. And here is a widow. My beloved, we do not come before an unjust judge. We come before God. We come before the most righteous, just judge of all. One who will judge rightly. One who can do nothing else. Ah. But he is not only our judge, he is our father. He does not, he is not one who does not regard neither God nor man, but rather one whose thoughts of us are more in number than the sands of the sea, but rather one who yearns, who longs to envy for us. One who hurts when we hurt. One who weeps when we weep. One when we are bound in sorrow, his own heart sorrows, as the scripture would tell us. One who loved us so much that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, for our redemption. That is the one before whom we come. This judge had appointed days and hours, appointed times when the courtroom shall be opened. Oh, my beloved, our judge, our God, our father, neither slumbers nor sleeps. When we would come before him, he is ready at any moment to hear our prayer, to hear our request, to hear our plea, to hear our difficulty, our trial, our trouble. We do not come before a judge. We come before God, our Father, who loves us. Ah, we come before one who neither slumbers nor sleeps. We come before one who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing. My beloved, let us look to the widow. She came alone. We do not come alone. We come with the promises of God. She quoted no law book. She said only these words, avenge me of my adversary. We do not come only with these words. We come with the promises of God himself. We come with the promises of God that cannot be broken. That must be answered. For God cannot in any instance break his word.
We do not come alone. We may come with one another as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We may come and agree upon this difficulty, this trouble that has come into our lives, this request which we would bring before the Father, that we may share with one another and bring, not alone as this widow, but with each other, with other believers in Jesus Christ. Oh, but we not only do not come alone because we may come with other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, but when we cry out to God, the Holy Spirit cries out with us. He cries out for us with groanings that cannot be uttered, cannot be understood. We do not come alone. We come with the Holy Spirit who dwells within our hearts, who Himself brings our request before the Father. Is this not cause for rejoicing? There is more, more still. For even as this widow came alone, there was no barrister at her side. We have with us our advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We are joint heirs with Him. He is our Savior. He is our salvation. And we may come before our Heavenly Father with Him who would bring our requests before the Father Himself. For He is with us. He is our advocate. He is our Perikletos. He is the one who is called along beside us. Oh, my beloved, we do not come before the Father alone. We come with the promises of God. We come with one another. We come with the Holy Spirit. We come with Jesus Christ, the righteous. But I would say to you, in most instances, we simply do not come. We do not come. We know nothing of this widow. We didn't know of her education. We do not know of her intellect. We do not know of her situation. We do not even know the difficulty for which she was seeking help. But this widow came with the one thing which each of us has and yet which many of us do not exercise. For even as we began this passage of Scripture, as the Holy Spirit would lead us here within the Word of God, as Jesus Himself has spoken, men are always to pray and not to faint. This widow came with the one thing which all of us possess. Persistence. She came with persistence. And she continued to come before the Father until her prayer was answered. But we do not come. We seek to labor in our own strength. We ignore our Father. How do you think that makes Him feel? Not an unjust judge, but one who loves us. One who cares for us. One who has given us the promises of His Word. One who has given us His Son. One who has given us the Holy Spirit as a comforter to dwell within our hearts. Do you think God does not feel when He sees His children turn their hearts from Him? When He 
does not hear from his children. And there are times when he must hem us in, when he must bring us to our very wit's end. Until then we will fall upon our knees and cry out to him. Oh, my beloved, will he find faith on the earth? You see, as we would come before the Father, as our hearts would be in that abiding presence of Him, as we would walk in His way, as we would seek in obedience to Him to live our lives upon this earth, as we would have our hearts knit together and bound to Him, as we would come before the Father, seeking His will in our lives. Oh, my beloved, my beloved, we do not come alone. We do not come before an unjust judge. My beloved, I would say to you that we do not come. Continue to seek the will of God. Continue to desire His deliverance. Continue here yeah, to be delivered of our adversary. Continue to be defended, to continue to be preserved, continue to be protected, continue to be provided for. But we do not come. We wonder what is the difficulty in our lives. Why are there trials and struggles and troubles and difficulties? Why do we feel so weary? Why do we feel as if God Himself has forgotten us? Why do we view God as if He were indeed an unjust judge? Because we do not know Him. We have not sought His face. We do not come before Him. You see, it does not matter your education. It does not matter your intellect, your intelligence. It does not matter your wealth. It does not matter your physical condition. This widow had the very secret, I believe, of prayer. Persistence. She continued to knock upon the very gates of heaven until the Lord heard her prayer. And so it is with us. Men are always to pray. Our hearts are always to be given to prayer. We ought always to be in a spirit of prayer. Always to be ready to bring our requests before the Father. We ought always to bring all things before our Father. For He longs to hear from us. But we do not come. And so the parable was given. And so the question is asked. When He comes, Will he indeed find faith upon the earth? My brother, would you come close us this morning as you would see fit?